this week, the Comics Guys explain the ages of comics. Yes, thank you, Ben. Uh, this time, we will be going over the very... I think a lot of people have um, heard the term Golden Age, Silver Age, uh, you know, uh, Iron Age. Actually, no, that's the wrong one. You're right. Dying? No, yeah, it is Iron Well, right. if, are you doing them in order? You left out bronze then, but yes. I did miss the bronze, you're right. But I don't think a lot of people, uh, you know, fully understand that. So today, we're going to break down uh the each of the ages of uh comics and uh where at least in our opinions uh the uh break lines for them are right. uh it's a, they're terms that we've thrown around a lot in these episodes and it's kind of occurred to us that it's like this is you know we, we keep talking as though we assume everybody else knows what this means right mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like pointed out that maybe we should in fact actually like make sure that uh, everybody is caught up on what it is on you know on the terms and the thing is these are terms of art Right. There is no one definition. There is no kind of like uh, uh, universally accepted dividing points uh, for all of these ages. Um, so uh, part of what I'm doing or part of what we're doing with this is explaining the what be, what we mean when we use these terms. Right. These are the boundaries that I have picked. You should absolutely feel free to argue with me or argue with us, uh, you know, like about the choices that we have made. Um, and in fact, if you want to join our Patreon and then you can get on Discord and argue with us all day long about it. And, uh, you know, that would be a, a, a lovely way to do it. Um, but when I use the term Silver Age, Golden Age, Iron Age or whatever, as we're going along, I want you to know what I mean when I'm saying those things. Right. Absolutely. Just as a you know, a little story about it, I was uh, explaining. Someone was posting the uh, some of the uh, awful Superman uh, covers in a Discord group I was in, and I mentioned that yes, Golden Age Superman uh, is just a weird, weird character. Um, and they were like, "Well, what does that even mean, Golden Age?" So uh, hopefully, we can clear all that up today. What we mean exactly. in those terms. So, uh, where do we start with? Do we start with the golden? Let's age? start. Let's start before the golden age, right? Because oh. the golden age has a very kind of like specific beginning point, but superheroes as a concept. And once again, this is you know we're kind of like we we should be careful to like be sure what we're talking about. Uh, we have there's the golden age of comics and the golden age of superheroes, right? And those are not necessarily the same thing, um, especially at kind of like the beginning and the end of the list. Comics aren't even necessarily like the most important parts of what's going on, right? The middle is all about comics because that's where the superheroes, you know, kind of like live, right? Sort of thing. Um, but before the golden age, you have all of the things that influenced the golden age, all of the stuff that kind of like described uh, and and led to the creation of the superhero. And we kind of call that the platinum age, right? It's the, you know, the, the, the metal that's more valuable than gold, right? Kind of thing. Um, now, the Platinum Age, you can have all kinds of discussions about what exactly counts for that, right? Longtime friend of the show, Jess Nevins, um, actually wrote a, a book in which he says that the very first superhero story is Gilgamesh and Enkidu, right? That's a little much for me, but sure, okay, I, you know, I'm not going to necessarily, uh, uh, you know, define superheroes back that far. But you have to acknowledge that, like, the DNA of the superhero, like, what went into creating the superhero does include all of these great kind of, like, fantastic mythical tales, right? It's it's the tales of Greek mythology uh, and other mythologies. It's the great kind of, like, cultural stories like Gilgamesh or King Arthur or Robin Hood 
or Roland uh, and like the tall tales of Americana, right? Like you can't get to Superman if you don't go through Paul Bunyan and John Henry and Pecos Bill and all of those kind of characters, right? That is part of it. And so even though that doesn't usually get included in the Platinum Age, you kind of just sort of like acknowledge that that was there, right? Like that that's that's part of what you're talking about. So um, the DNA of uh, comic book characters is built on, you know, the mythology of old because it's a lot of it is modern mythology right. or modern-esque mythology stuff. Yeah. Right. So then you have, you know, like serial fiction characters that were like published in a manner that's not that different from comic books, right? That appeared in uh, earliest like magazines uh, or in, you know, uh, in, in pulps and that sort of thing. And you can kind of like date that to the big, the, the important one, certainly not the first one, but the most important one would be Sherlock Holmes, right? And the idea of like a character who was a do-gooder, who was somehow better than your ordinary person, in this case, just by being, you know, smarter. Um, the brilliant detective whose adventures we would turn in, tune into periodically, right? Like a new Sherlock Holmes would appear every few months in a magazine, right? And then you would read them that way. So it's not really that different from going down to the newsstand and picking up the latest comic book adventure, right? Um, now, he's not a superhero. He doesn't wear a costume. He doesn't have a secret identity. He doesn't have any of the stuff that goes with it. But the idea of like the serial adventures of a crime fighter really kind of starts with Sherlock Holmes and then goes into, you know, like a bunch of other different characters after it. Right. Um, and then you have kind of, you know, other masked adventurers. Right. Like you have the Scarlet Pimpernel, who first appears in 1903. Right. It was like, you know, like a masked adventurer of the French Revolution. Um, and you have other characters in pulp stories who have uh, they may not be crime fighters, but they have superhuman abilities of some sort. Right. You have uh, uh, John Carter of Mars um, and then Tarzan, uh, both by E.R. Burroughs. You have the Nyctalope, who was a French uh, pulp character who really looks like a superhero right like he wears a costume he sneaks around at night fighting crime and he does have superpowers in that like he literally has uh has, has been modified his body has been changed so that he can see in the dark and he can breathe underwater those sound like superpowers to me right like i mean that's a that's clearly uh, a, a character who's a, a clear predecessor of that right um and then you've got movies once movies start right like you have silent film heroes you have uh uh Phantomas and Judex, both of which are once again French uh, characters, uh, both of whom had movies in the early 1910s. Um, the Phantomas was actually a French serial fiction character. Um, and Phantomas really, in a lot of ways, defines the first supervillain. Right? Like he is very clearly a, uh, you know, a master villain who always gets away with his crimes. The police are always thwarted in their efforts to like chase him around. Um, he's basically, you know, a, a super cool badass character, much like Batman, except that he's committing crimes. Um, and then Judex is a, a silent film hero who is a good guy um, who, you know, punishes evildoers uh, that the law can't get to kind of thing. Right. Um, Zorro, uh, the great, you know, uh, uh, swashbuckling uh you know hero of uh you know mexican era california first appears in 1919 and by this point we are clearly definitively in the platinum age right like by the time we're talking about these characters uh who are appearing in kind of like modern pulps and everything that were still popular at the time superheroes started right like this is clearly like the age that sets those up 
you get into the 20s and 30s and you have characters like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and Popeye. Um, the novel Gladiator by Philip, uh, Philip Wiley uh, features a hero called uh, whose name is Hugo Danner, who is very clearly uh, one of the things that Superman is ripping off from. Right. Like he is a, a, a character with, uh, you know, like enormous power and the ability to leap over buildings and that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, you know, he's not exactly he's he's definitely not a crime fighter, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, his descriptions and the sort of things that he can do in the Superman stories. And then you get to the characters that are really very obviously as pulp characters, some sort of blend between uh you know, pulp hero and superhero are kind of like straddling that edge, right? Um, the first of those, obviously, is The Shadow. Uh, the Shadow uh, was originally, uh, first appeared on the radio, actually. He was the host of a show called The Detective Story Hour, um, which began in July of 1930. And Detective Story was a magazine, was a pulp magazine full of detective stories that did that didn't have any particular one character each you know issue would have six or eight stories that were all featured different detectives um and the radio show was to promote to the magazine and the radio show was hosted by this mysterious guy called the shadow who would like introduce each story right he was not a character he was not a crime fighter he was the guy who introduced the stories he was the host right um but when people he became so popular as a character people would go to buy the magazine and they couldn't remember the name of the show right they couldn't remember the name of the magazine they were looking for because the shadow was so much more important than detective story hour right that like people would go to the uh to the you know uh newsstands and ask for a copy of that magazine with the shadow in it Right. That that shadow magazine, you know, and of course, the you know publishers of the uh, of the magazine realized this pretty quickly and decided, oh, shadow, clearly he's got to be a character. He must be a detective or whatever. And they started to uh, change him from just being the host to being the guy who solved the crimes. Right. And he was so popular that by April 1931, which is just like eight months later or whatever, that after his first appearance as a host, he had his own magazine and his own show. The shadow very clearly doesn't really have a costume, except he always dresses the same way in his slouch hat, and he's always got his face is covered by his you know bandana by his scarf, right? Um, and he's got a secret identity, and he's got a bunch of recurring villains, and he goes out on a regular basis and fights crime, uh, and he clearly has supernatural powers, right? He has the power to cloud men's minds and all of that stuff, right? So is he a superhero? He's kind of out of the tradition of superheroes, right? He shoots pretty much everybody that he comes across as far as, uh, you know, as in, instead of taking them to jail. He's not really like a force of order the way that the superheroes are. But really, can you get to Batman without him, right? I mean, he's clearly, you know, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the clear predecessors. Um, in 1931, you have Dick Tracy uh, as a newspaper strip first appears. Now, Dick Tracy, clearly not a superhero. He's a cop, uh, but he fights ridiculous, uh, you know, villains who are grotesqueries and frequently themselves have strange devices or, you know, weird mad science that they're using. And he fights them with mad science of his own, right? Like he's got a, you know, a spaceship at one point and he's got his radio watch and all the other stuff that he does. Um, so once again, he's definitely a, a predecessor to Batman. Um, 
there's a radio station in Detroit, WXYZ, that had two different heroes, costumed heroes that they created for their radio shows for them. The same uh, uh, radio station created both the Lone Ranger and Green Hornet uh, in 1933 and 1936, respectively. Uh, both of these two are, you know, masked lawmen who fight bizarre criminals. Uh, neither of them's got superpowers, but they both have cool stuff, right? Uh, Doc Savage is clearly a predecessor to Superman, uh, not least of which because Doc Savage had a Fortress of Solitude that Superman outright swiped, uh, you know, for his own uh, adventures. Um, there were the newspaper heroes like Mandrake the Magician, uh, who, like the Shadow, could hypnotize people, um, and by later on in his stories actually had real magical powers, but at first everything he did was an illusion. Um, and the Phantom, who has been treated basically since the existence of superheroes as a superhero, as a costumed hero um, in that same tradition, actually predates Superman and Batman by a couple of years. So, I mean, once again, we're kind of like laying the groundwork for what superheroes are going to look like. Uh, there were comic book characters who also kind of like predate Superman, uh, specifically the ones that are most frequently referenced in as being platinum age characters are Dr. Occult, who was a DC character created by the same two guys, by Siegel and Schuster, who created Superman a few years later. Um, Dr. Occult is a, you know, mystical detective uh, who, you know, mostly goes around solving crimes that have to do with magic and that sort of thing. Um, but he once again has, you know, wears the same trench coat over and over again and clearly has superpowers, uh, you know, he mostly mentalism and that sort of thing. But he does a lot of other magical stuff over the course of his stories. Um, and another hero who was clearly a shadow ripoff in the comics, who was the clock. Uh, who we talked about in the uh, in one of our history of comic uh, episodes previously. So all of those kind of collectively are the platinum age, right? When we are referring to the platinum age, we basically mean everything about superheroes that happened before Superman. And then the golden age begins with the publication of Superman with Action Comics number one in June 1938. Um, Action Comics number one features Superman as a, you know its lead character. He is the, def the definition of a superhero, right? He's wearing circus tights and a cape. He has a secret identity. He has powers that like, you know, are far beyond what any normal person can do. Um, and he's traveling around doing good deeds and fighting crime and that sort of thing. And then trying to live among us as a normal person, um, being an alien, you know, from another world, right? Who was raised on earth after uh, his own world was destroyed. Um, if you want to, you know, learn a bunch more about, uh, you know, the early days of, uh, of DC and that sort of thing, and specifically the creation of Superman and Batman, please check out our History of DC series. But this is now the Golden Age, right? The Golden Age begins in the summer of 1938 uh, and runs through the war to the other side. Uh, where exactly the Golden Age ends is one of the things that people who study comics argue about all the time. And there is no kind of like one set definition for it. The one that I use is March of 1951, All-Star Comics, published by DC, uh, switches from a superhero title to a Western, right? March 1951 is the last issue of All-Star Comics that has the Justice Society in it. By that point, superheroes are selling so badly as a genre that the Justice Society entirely gets canceled and the next month's issue that comes out is a Western. So 
after that point, the only superheroes who have survived kind of like the crash of superheroes in the late 40s into 1950 and 51 are DC's big four, right? The, the main heroes that DC has are still popular enough to have their own titles. Superman's got two. He's got Superman comics and action comics. And action comics not only features Superman, but has a couple of backup titles in it. Um, the most frequent action comics backup, I think at right around that time is Green Arrow actually. So he's a survivor of the golden age. Um, Superboy has adventure comics that he is the lead feature in. And that also has other features in it that include Aquaman. So Aquaman also a survivor. Batman's got two comics in uh, Detective and Batman. Detective also has a bunch of other features, but for a while, they none of them are superheroes. They're all clearly just like plain clothes cops and private eyes. Um, and then there's World's Finest, which is Superman and Batman together. So you, you can kind of like see where I'm going with this, right? And then the only other character on top of this is Wonder Woman, who does in fact continue to have her own title, uh, which is, you know, not monthly, but is published regularly, basically, um, well past All-Star into the 50s, right? That's it. And then you've got a handful of other titles that uh, from other companies that last into the 50s and really kind of die there that were also that popular. Captain Marvel uh, and Mar the Marvel family from Fawcett, who we've referred to a bunch of times in here, stayed popular right up until the time that uh, Fawcett decided that their lawsuit with DC over whether or not Captain Marvel was a ripoff of Superman, please see our previous episodes, um, was no longer worth the money that they were spending to fight it. And they decided to simply fold and grant the rights, you know, eventually to DC uh you know for for what they were doing uh quality comics made a similar decision starting around 1951 they killed their last two superhero titles which were Dollman and uncle sam and sold their blackhawks uh, series directly to dc to let them finish carrying it that was pretty much it there's a there's a couple of others who make it to like 1950 the bolt makes it to 1950 i think but pretty much everybody else in comic books at that time had quit doing superheroes because it was a genre that seemed to have kind of shot its wad right like it was done at that point nobody was interested in it everybody wanted crime everybody wanted westerns everybody wanted horror uh science fiction whatever anything else besides superheroes right it's an interesting way to uh Describe the uh, end of superheroes. <laughs> Shot well, well. I just enjoyed that uh, turn of phrase. Okay. Uh, yeah, so but yeah, so that's so that's where I put the end, right? Like some people put the end earlier or later or something, you know, for it. But I make I I mark it as the time that the Justice Society quit being superheroes, basically, right? Um, yeah. That's a that sounds like a good one. I mean, so then, but then, say okay, but then we talk about the Silver Age. It's like, well, when did the Silver Age start? And really, like most people, I say that the Silver Age of comics starts when Barry Allen, the Flash, appears. Right, the first cool, new, exciting superhero from DC he is a uh, he's modern, he's streamlined, he's atomic, he is you know like a brand new thing the modern day of 1956 right so what do you call the period between 1951 and 1956 right is that also part of the silver age even though there's you know so little else going on with it 
um, when I am referring to stuff in there, I will probably include that in the Silver Age most of the time that I'm talking. But really, I'm referring when I refer from 1951 to 1956, is it's it's I call it the interregnum, right? Like the time between kings, <laughs> right? Like it's a period where where there is no king, and uh, you know we're just in chaos basically. And there's stuff that happens in that time period that is related to superheroes that is actually super interesting, even though none of it sells and nobody is important, like, you know, really to, uh, you know, to the period or anything. Nobody considers it part of the age, but there are a bunch of things that happen in it that uh, will go on to have like interesting spin outs, right? This is the stretch in which Fawcett quits doing Captain Marvel. Um, this is the stretch in which uh, uh, Timely turns into Atlas, um, and there are a handful of characters that are created uh, in the early 50s as part of Timely that we will consider to be superheroes, like Marvel Boy makes his first appearance in 1951. Uh, DC introduces Martian Manhunter during this period. Now, Martian Manhunter in the series, when he first starts, isn't really a superhero. He's a detective from outer space who happens to have superpowers, right? But by the time the Justice League kicks around, he has clearly full bore gone into being a superhero. So like his very earliest stories, even though they're not terribly superhero-y, they still should kind of count, right? Like he's clearly a Silver Age character and he's very important once the Justice League actually kicks in. Um, but those earliest stories, it's kind of hard to call him a superhero. Also, when Fawcett and Quality get out of the... Um, get out of the business of doing superhero stories, Stan Lee is working at the company that starts out being called Timely and changes to Atlas over the course of that time. And during that stretch, when he sees everybody else's superhero stories falling off and being canceled and that sort of thing, he says, you know, I've always wanted to run my own superhero line. I think it would be great. This, is, this seems like the, the field is wide open. Right. Only DC is doing superheroes now. We should create some superheroes or do some superhero stories to compete with them because all of the other superheroes have gone away as competition. And so for a brief time in 1954 and 1955, he brings back a bunch of his Golden Age characters that he they owned the rights to from Timely. So there's a stretch of 54 and 55 where there's a bunch of comics that star Captain America, Namor the Submariner and Human Torch that kind of don't fit into any other like time period, right? It's only a couple of years worth of stories, but still they're not, they're clearly not golden age, right? Captain America is fighting communists, not Nazis, right? But they also don't fit Marvel continuity from later on either, right? Like when Marvel kind of like restarts its own age of Marvel in 1961 with the Fantastic Four, these stories don't count or they don't count at first. Right. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the versions of those that get told. But the things that happened in those stories are surprisingly important. Right. Because the Human Torch story that leads to the creation of the vision is in that series. Right. The storyline of the anti-commie Captain America, who becomes the grand director and uh, the Bucky of that version, who goes on to become Nomad. Right. Are in those stories. Uh, the Marvel Boy sure. stories in there are huge for the creation of the Eternals and for Thanos as a character. It's basically oh. introduced out of concepts that began yeah. in those Marvel Marvel Boy stories, right? So those stories, even though they're weird and 
nobody read them and they sold terribly, etc., turn out to be incredibly important to comic book history as they go on, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. They still, I think they're referencing one of them like just recently in uh, the new Captain America series. I think yeah, so uh, they, they get called back to them all the time, right? Because yeah. they were brought back in the 60s and 70s by. Uh, you know, by other writers who like thought it was interesting to, you know, they, they needed to explain the Captain America of the 50s, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. So the Silver Age starts for real with creation of Barry Allen. Showcase number four, October 1956, gives us a new flash. The new flash then will lead to uh, new versions of a bunch of other Golden Age stories. This is where Hal Jordan becomes Green Lantern, and Ray Palmer is the Atom, and Carter Hall is the Hawkman, and you know all these like reboots, basically modernizations of Golden Age characters. Um, and then all those Golden Age characters themselves come back uh, in the pages first of Flash and then Justice League. A uh, bunch of other new characters get introduced in this time. This is the Challengers of the Unknown. This is, you know, all of these other characters. And then the Justice League forms. And the Justice League, of course, is made up of, in its initial stories, um, four of the characters. Uh, no, yeah, four of the characters who survived from the Golden Age. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman. And then you add to that lineup Martian Manhunter, Flash, and Green Lantern, all of whom are, you know, new modern characters. And then shortly Green Arrow joins and Adam joins and everybody else joins and it becomes this whole best-selling huge, you know, title um, and sells so well that Marvel, the, you know, the new uh, inheritor of the Timely Atlas, uh, you know, line uh, that Stanley basically gets permission, gets ordered basically to make a superhero team to compete with Justice League because Justice League is selling so well. So you have kind of like, you know, a second uh highlight of the silver age is fantastic four number one because that's the beginning of the marvel era within the silver age and so you have all of the creation of all the important marvel characters all of the dc characters of the 50s and 60s etc etc where do you end the silver age this is another one that a lot of people like to fight about i have heard many uh you know interesting choices as places that you could put the end of the silver age um there are people who say that Jack Kirby leaving Marvel in 1970 is kind of the end of the, the Silver Age. I can sort of understand that. Um, they talk about uh, the uh, O'Neill, the Denny O'Neill, um, Neil Adams, Green Lantern, Green Arrow stories, Hard Traveling Heroes, right? Which is the series in which Speedy does drugs, right? That is that the, uh, the end of the Silver Age when uh, we reveal that Speedy is a heroin addict, right? Like, is that a change that's uh, sufficiently large to do it? Um, because no, I don't want heroin in the age change. <laughs> <laughs> so my my signpost basically that I like to use for it is the death of Gwen Stacy, and Gwen Stacy is of course Spider Man's girlfriend at the time. In uh, June of 1973, uh, it's a it's actually a two part story. So it's a 121 and 122 of Spider Man, but she dies at the end of 121. Um, and she is killed by the Green Goblin, um, who is, you know, holding her hostage at the top of a bridge and chucks her off of a bridge. And Spider-Man arrives just in time to save her and shoots his web uh, down to catch her and uh, catches her right before she hits the water. And there is that horrible panel in which you have the sound effect of snap as he catches her. And you realize that in catching her, he has broken her neck. 
uh, and that she, despite the fact that he showed up in time to, you know, save the day and still somehow didn't, and this wonderful, happy character of the Silver Age is in fact lying dead in his arms. And then you have the follow-up story, of course, in which Spider-Man, you know, confronts the Green Goblin in his rage. And while he doesn't kind of directly kill him, he doesn't exactly go out of his way to save him either, right? Kind of thing. It's like, is Spider-Man really responsible for the death of Green Goblin in the comics? Well, it's, you know, the way it's written, it's kind of sketchy, right? Is, uh, you know, could, could he have done something about it, right? But the important thing is... It's a change in the way the universe works. It's a change in the way superhero stories are told. Right? Everybody who died in a Silver Age comic died for a purpose, died to create uh, you know, tragedy for a main character, to teach them a lesson. Uncle Ben dies so that like Spider-Man can learn morality in the first place, right? Uh, you know, Batman's parents die to inspire him to, you know, go on to, to dedicate to his life to fighting crime, right? Death served a purpose. And Stacy dies by accident. And Stacy dies because there's no justice in the universe, right? Spider-Man did what he was supposed to do. Spider-Man didn't fail. He showed up in time. He wasn't too late to save her. She just died by accident. And that's a whole new thing that has never existed in the universe, until that point in the Silver Age. And that's to me is the marker point for the end of the Silver Age. Bronze Age that follows it basically allows for people to die by accident, people to die without serving a dramatic purpose and that sort of thing. Now, interestingly, that puts some interesting stuff. If you choose that as a signpost, it means that the signpost is on the other side of the comics code being modified and effectively dropped as a uh, as a marker of morality uh, as it's portrayed in comics right and that is frequently uh, cited also by people as a potential end of the silver age itself is the spider-man drug stories um, that we talk about in the history of marvel where stanley like you know first kind of like broaches the topic of you know people who are not straight up evil and villainous who might be using drugs um, and then also the uh, change in the level of uh, horror and gore and that sort of thing that can be allowed to be shown in a comic. Um, so like from 1971 into the early mid-70s, you have an explosion of horror characters uh, who can be portrayed as, you know, they, they don't need to be heroes, right? You can have Tomb of Dracula. You can have, uh, you know, Werewolf by Night, and you can have Dead Man. You can have all of these other characters, Ghost Rider. Um, that the code would have forbidden, right? The arrival of those characters is kind of like a marker also of the, the, the beginning of the Bronze Age. Um, the Bronze Age is uh, kind of the version that most of us know, right? It's the version that people my age or a bit younger kind of grew up with, right? It's like the, the, the era when, you know, like we were kids, basically. Um, and it is an era of kind of consolidation, right? Like we have a greater uh, freedom in the kind of stories that we can tell, but stories are still being generally aimed at young people, right? Um, and there is a need, there is a kind of like a, a, the, the, the arrival of like the fans as being important as a culture, 
uh, really kicks in. The Silver Age starts it. The Silver Age is the first time fans even get noticed. The Bronze Age is when like fan uh, uh, opinion and fan awareness becomes something that is actively played to by the writers and creators. Um, it is a period in which uh, there's kind of a uh, there, there's a there, there's a way that characters are treated that is kind of like notably uh, uh, on the spectrum, right? There's a level at which like it becomes really important to straighten out if uh, Thor or Hulk is stronger, right? Like who would win in a fight, right? So like the one of the most uh, important uh, kind of like key signature pieces of the Bronze Age is the creation creation of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Right, which is an actual kind of like, you know, listing of every character in their setting and what their powers are and like the full stories, you know, like about them. Continuity becomes huge in the Bronze Age. Continuity becomes the most important thing of the Bronze Age, right? Like continuity, once again, is an idea that was created in the Silver Age, but it comes to its kind of like full fruition um, in the in the Bronze. Uh, the collector's market becomes important in the bronze, right? Um, this is the era in which the Overstreet Guide to Collecting Comics comes about, right? And so you have this run of like stories that begins in wherever you set it in the early 70s and runs up into the mid to late 80s. And that's the Bronze Age that we refer to. It's a, you know an explosion of titles. It's an explosion of... Um, uh, well, it, the indie comics uh, develop, but at that that is the time that Marvel and DC kind of ascend to being the big two, right? Like they're the ones that matter. And then there's all of these kind of like, you know, much smaller indie titles that are, that are around it. At the end of the Bronze Age, you have the idea of like deconstruction of the very concept of the superhero, right? And this is the time period in which people like uh, uh, Frank Miller and Alan Moore and some of those guys come in. It's the period in which Watchmen comes out. It's the period in which Dark Knight comes out uh, and that sort of thing. And they're kind of like looking at what even is, does it mean to be a superhero? What does it mean? What's the morality of superheroes about? What does it mean to uh, you know, define yourself as a vigilante, to go outside the law to bring justice? Like, what is that even as a concept? And how, how, how does a, a just society even allow that to exist, right? And those are the kind of like the concepts that Miller and Moore and later writers are going to you know, like be struggling with. At the same time, you have these massive changes in the publishing industry right? Indie comics become a functional thing. Uh, stores, the entire idea of a comic shop comes into existence and direct sales to comic shops uh, becomes a means of which, uh, by which comics are gotten to their fans, right? And uh, the entire titles are published specifically, uh, you know, and sold only through the direct sales market. And during this time, you have this explosion of like indie titles. You have the huge collector uh, fad of that period. And so when that kind of like reaches its peak uh, at the beginning becomes a new age that we then call the Iron Age. And once again, there's a million places that you could put the border. I like putting it in May 1992 when the very first image comic comes out, when Spawn number one comes out, right? Because Spawn is very clearly a character who was created for the collector's market a character who very much kind of like defined what comics were going to look like for the next 10 or 15 years. Um, that was decompressed storytelling uh, with um, 
the art being much more important than the story and the artist becoming the star of the uh, as far as like the collector audience became people collected because of the artist not because of the writer or the plot or anything um and the the role of the writer was very kind of like diminished in storytelling um and then the direct sales market was completely upended by the success of image which became you know for a while uh, a publisher that was just as powerful and just as financially successful as marvel and dc had ever been um and you know at that point uh you know the all of the breaks are off as far as editorial content you can have any amount of drugs and sex and violence and whatever else in your comics um, because they're so heavily influenced by the indie comics, the underground comics that came from the previous age. So this is the area that the era of like grim and gritty. Um, Ken Height, uh, another longtime friend of the show, uh, put his uh, end of the Bronze Age at the crisis in 1986. Um, and the artistic elegance and convenience of that is that's where Barry Allen dies, right? So if Barry Allen's, you know, creation started the silver, having his death and the bronze certainly has a kind of like, you know, lovely, uh, you know, sort of like tie up, um, which I like. Uh, but that means his version of the bronze age is really short, right? That's only 13 years. And I don't think that's long enough uh, to kind of like define an age. Um, his further argument is that uh, then you can end the Iron Age when Barry Allen comes back in Final Crisis, um, which once again, powerful argument from like the elegance point of view, but it doesn't really work out for years. Um, so then you kind of have to ask, okay, well, if that's where you're putting the Bronze Age, who is the last bronze hero? Um, Cable, Deadpool, Bishop, all of those guys are kind of like in the right, uh, you know, time frame um cable and deadpool are definitely kind of precursors to the iron age definitely um the one i like is kind of the, the last hero in the style of the bronze is tim drake as robin um as kind of like the, the 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 last of the you know of a kind of character that wouldn't appear again starting in the 90s yeah i think i definitely the the between like that cable and bishop cable and bishop definitely feel very much of the next age i would say like all the guns and the pouches exactly eh. right the, the yeah. yeah all the life held art exactly feels yeah. feels iron feels 90s you know yeah, absolutely so, so then you have the iron age then runs up into the mid 2000s right if it starts in 1992 uh you get up to about 2007 2008 you kind of have to wonder okay where does iron actually end who is the last iron age character um Damian Wayne is kind of a good answer once again if you are if you're going to do this by Robbins right like he is he is clearly seems to be a creation of you know like an iron age uh morality and that sort of thing um I like Kickass and Hit Girl actually okay. I think as as the last iron age characters um you know kind of like fits the uh it's fits the style it's kind of tough to tell the actual change the actual period end is what I call the Silicon Age, which is the age that we're in now. Um, I have at other times called it the Celluloid Age, but that's not a metal, and that kind of you know uh, changes the uh, you know the the theme that we're going through for this. Um, and the Silicon Age is defined by a change in the way that characters are consumed and perceived by the public, 
right? Because the, the, the significant event of the Silicon Age is that comics are no longer the most important version of a character. Right. Every version, anytime you saw a TV show of a superhero or a movie of a superhero or anything like that, um, it was still an imperfect copy of the real one who was the guy in the comics. Right. That's, you know, every you always knew. Right. Even with like the X-Men movies or the, you know, Tim Burton, Batman's or whatever. This was just a version of the real guy and the real guy was in the comics. Right. Beginning with the first Iron Man movie and the beginning of the modern MCU, that's no longer the case. In the, in the modern era, in the era of the MCU, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, as Tony Stark is realer than the Tony Stark who appears in the comics. The version in the comics is just a version of Robert Downey Jr.'s character. So the way that we consume superhero stories has changed because the movies and the TV shows, et cetera, are the primary way that we know characters and the primary versions of the characters that we hold in our heads. The comics are now just additional new stories about those guys, about those movie characters. So the actual age changes literally uh, halfway through, or not halfway through, but at the end of Iron Man 1, when uh, you know Samuel Jackson shows up uh, in the post credit sequence and tells him, you've entered a new age now. Right, that's literally the moment that the Silicon Age begins, in my opinion. Comics are absolutely irrelevant to millions of fans of superheroes, right? Who will never pick up a comic? Who don't care about them anymore? That's not how we. That's not how we do this anymore. Um, the the movie characters are real. The comics are fake. Getting people into kind of, comics now is very difficult, just because there's. So- Getting people, getting new people into comics is difficult, even for people who like the movies. There's so much content that is easier to consume. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and they're certainly still not making it easy to really follow comic storylines or collect storylines. Um, not especially... aimed at the same audience anymore. Yep. Right? Comics audiences have, you know, become shrunk down to a very specific sort of uh, consumer. And if you're not into what those consumers want, then comics are not going to satisfy your, uh, you know, satisfy your Jones for for superhero stories. And why would you bother? Because li- there's literally, you know, however many 50 movies and God knows how many TV shows, et cetera, et cetera, all these other things uh, that you could be, you could watch to, you know, satisfy your 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 desire for superhero stories. Mm-hmm. In every theme and genre you can think of. Right. Like, I think there's a horror, a horror one came comes out tonight. It's true, uh, exactly. Uh, you know, just for a little bit of, uh, you guys can figure out when we're filming this. When we're recording, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah. All right, but I think that yeah. So, so we've good. I've chosen silicon as the metal for it because I like the idea that it like stays a metal, and so silicon obviously kind of you know like re- represents all of the computers and the CGI that's involved in creating uh, superhero stories. I wish I could do use, use celluloid because it's easier to explain. Uh, but uh, I have been talked out of that because I like the the thematic elegance of keeping the metal. So, and that that age is still going on. I don't know how it's going to end, and I don't know what's next. But based on the average time that an age is, sometime in the mid twenty twenties, we should have another change. And you know, I I at this point have no predictions exactly of what will come next. But whatever it is, we'll come up with a way to you know define it and find a point where this age ends. So, absolutely.
I think uh, the first Marvel movie that uh, the tanks. I don't know, right? Like, what will what will be the will be the marker point that this age is over? Uh, I don't know. You know, people keep asking what's going to kill Marvel uh, or what's going to kill, you know, the the the, the superhero, the you know, movie. and DC's been trying to do it for like. <laughs> Like, they've been trying to do it for like you know since I you know if Iron Man one is where it begins they've been trying to kill it since like Iron Man two, uh, when they, um when they started putting out their stuff so I I don't know I'm I I think superhero movies might become something like the Simpsons where they just never go away but they might ebb and flow in popularity so I but guess it's they- a it's a genre like the big westerns or something right yeah. like it's a new western comes out every so often some of them are even good you know but eventually. You know, you can't sustain what what we see now in superheroes is what the fifties were like for westerns. Right. But you can't keep that up forever. You know, at right. some point, yeah. at some point, the audience is going to be you know stuffed full of westerns or stuffed full of superheroes or whatever, and something else will come along. I just don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know if I get to pick. Um, about like uh, time movies. Movies specifically about time travel. That's all I want. All you want? <laughs> yeah. 30 just, time travel movies in like 10 years? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just drive everyone totally fucking insane. <laughs> <Sorry>, I <didn't laughs> uh, totally freaking insane. Uh, by just I think being... we've established that you can, in fact, swear a, a little bit in this podcast. So. Right, well, yeah, we get one like a PG thirteen. Uh, that's right. Like, exactly. Uh, you've just you've that's right. If you do it again, this podcast will be rated R. Um. Yeah, you know, just uh, but yeah, thirty primer movies a year. I just want primer thirty times. <laughs> Ideal cinema. <laughs> I like this. I like this plan. I support this. Uh, but yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Until we become a primer only podcast, um, during the primer age of films. Let's say in the prime in the primer age of comics or whatever. Yeah. Uh, thank you all for joining us. I've been Steve Tasker. I'm Darren Watts, and if you like this sort of foolishness, please back us on Patreon, and uh, we'll be able to continue bringing it to you. Yes, uh, and uh, have a good night. Thanks for coming. <laughs>